0: Unique, yet common-sense opinions on sports, this is Jeff Allen Sports Talk. And a pleasure to welcome to this week's show my friend from the Memphis Flyer and Memphis Magazine. He is Frank Mertzha. Frank is going to join us here to talk about a variety of sports topics. And Frank, as always, it is a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Great to be with you, Jeff. Thanks for having me, buddy.
0: Yes, and I know one of the things, you know, we're both big baseball fans, and I know you're probably just as aggravated as I am with this baseball lockout. Uh, you know, we're in a situation now, I mean, I usually will will be against the party that starts the stoppage of play, in this case it's the owners, but when you come down right down to it, when you look at both sides and the bank vaults of money that they're quibbling over, really just kind of Is sour to us baseball fans and probably even to the casual fans as well when you talk about uh, the kind of money that they're haggling over and not providing a product on the field for the fans to enjoy.
1: You know, Jeff, it's such an ugly look and and it keeps getting uglier, as you know, the the closer they get to an agreement and then, you know, pushing it back another day, canceling another series of games, another week of games. It's just, um, they're tone deaf. I mean we literally have a war going on now uh, across the ocean and, and baseball cannot figure out how to share uh, their billions of dollars fairly. Um, I, you know, you and I will be back You know, nuts like us that have grown up and have it in our blood. And it's the way we breathe when the weather warms up is baseball. We'll be back, but you've got to wonder how many casual fans who would just as soon watch, you know, NBA playoff games, NHL playoff games, even, you know, in April and May, um, as opposed to any baseball, you got to wonder how many of those are just lost for good, um, because it's it's so unsightly um, when the conversation is competitive balance tax and pre-arbitration pool draft pick compensation, and not you know whether or not your team has uh, the right cleanup hitter, whether you've got a you know a, a decent you know three and four you know man in your pitching rotation. Talking about the things we should be this time of year, it's heartbreaking. It's honestly heartbreaking, and it feeds the cynicism, Jeff, that that has followed baseball for um, most of my adult life. You, you know, you and I both have friends who don't follow the sport. Why do they have to play 162 games? Why do they have to start in April? You know, kids can't go to baseball games on you know school night in April or May. Well, Rob Manford and his cohorts, and, and to a degree, yes, the players as they. Of digging themselves, they're playing right into that cynicism, and and showing the world that, that baseball may not need 162 games, may not need to be played in April to have a profitable sport for these millionaires and billionaires to to you know cash their checks. It's a it's just a horrible look. You got me rambling, and I apologize for that. <laughs> but it's it's it, it's ugly, and I think there's going to be some climbing back for baseball to do whenever they they solve the problem. There's going to be a baseball season. I mean, a, a, as soon as tomorrow, it could be. You know they're they're going to have an agreement, but it's it's just this is dragged on into a, a time in our lives and, and a, a time in world history that, that makes the sport look very very sour.
0: Yeah, and you know, in some ways you probably should have seen this coming because you know when you look at the COVID season and how long they took to get to an agreement to to get back on the field uh, at, the, at the at the at the earliest opportunity, they drug their heels on that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, you know, you bring that up, it's. It's something I've I've mentioned to my wife uh, almost daily that we're just two years removed from actually seeing what the world is like with no baseball in April, in May, in June, into July. It was it was miserable. I mean, it, so that was a, a time of of misery well beyond just spectator sports. But baseball was a component of it. And for for those who are making the decisions and those in the negotiating room to not remember the summer of 2020. And factor that into their negotiations now is you know tone deaf, blind, whatever you know physical metaphor you want to use. that They just don't get it, and um, it's gonna it's gonna harm the sport. You know, I um, it, it's gonna harm the sport. Um, as I said, you and I will be back. I'm, I'm going to try and get up to Bush Stadium when the Cardinals are back. I'll be here. You know, I, I will be watching the the minor leagueers play here at AutoZone Park in Memphis. Uh, they're not they're not part of this mess, but it's. Um, it's a it's an ugly time uh, in baseball history there'll be some healing
0: to do. yeah and you look at you know uh, in in the 94 season when when they shut things down, you know that was a, a bad look and then you know in order to recover from that, the steroid era took place which was another bad look so they kind of compounded yeah. their problem yeah. you know you know and you know they're not going to be able to go to the steroid era again. <laughs> Uh yeah, so that's
1: funny. I saw I saw a tweet earlier today, Jeff, along those same li- along those same lines. And and that that's again, that's back to, to the the word of the day is cynicism. If baseball needed, you know, inflated, literally inflated ball players knocking the ball out out of the park um at um at ridiculous rates to bring casual fans back, yeah, I'm like you, what's next? I mean, they're already messing around with the rules. We're apparently gonna see Rule against shifting slightly larger bases, these silly, you know, small steps baseball's trying to take to make it more interesting. I just, I don't buy into it. But it's, you, you ask the right riddle. And (laughs) if it was steroids back in 1995, what is it going to be in 22? I I don't have an answer.
0: Yeah. You know, and, 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 and personally, I hate the shift, but I'm also against banning it because, you know, you should be able to play oh. your defense. And if you want to put six guys in the outfield, go for it, you know? Uh, yeah.
1: you know. You know, yeah. you know yeah. Don't get me even started there, Jeff. You <laughs> know, we're talking about the finest hitters on the planet. And if a, if a Major League Baseball batter, hitter, cannot make adjustments to hit against a the shift, then he doesn't belong in a big league uniform. I mean, this is – it's not complicated, you know. Put a push button down the third base line for a left-handed batter. These kinds of things can be done, uh, and um, you know the, the sport evolves and it, and it changes. Uh, it, it, it changes slowly. It's the kind of thing that takes time. You're not going to have a, a sport that we saw all the strikeouts and walks and homers, the, the true outcomes last year. It's not going to change in one season, even if they do play 162 games. But over the course of three or four seasons, smart baseball development people men or women are going to start teaching the game around um the trends that are impacting it the most now and one of those is a shift so for manfred and his and his cronies to step in and say we're going to ban a shift or limit shifts i i find it uh, i find it repugnant <laughs> um but uh, I, I think that's what we're looking at honestly um when we do see baseball again,
0: Hey, yeah, do you think do you think Rob Manfred is going to go down as the worst commissioner in baseball history?
1: <laughs> I think he's clinched it, Jeff. <laughs> I, I think he's clinched it. You, you, when you had Bowie Coon way back in the seventies, if folks are old enough to remember that, or uh, you know, more recently with Bud Selig, the, the image of him with his hands up at the All Star game, not knowing what to do when they had to call it a tie, you always felt like those guys had. Baseball in their hearts, and had the interests of the sport in their hearts. Rob Manfred just seems like a combative, uh, angry um, lawyer who um, who needs to win, in his view, win um, um, you know a, a management battle with labor, and uh, even when it comes to, to creating rules that are are, are counterintuitive to the, the flow of his of the sport he manages, I, I think he has clinched the worst. Commission in baseball history already, and he's what is he? Um, he's not even ten years into the into his his regime. I, I know it's it's probably five or six, but uh, yeah, yeah, he's um, and he's got to go. And a strong no question: If baseball is going to survive. Commissioner Manford, oh, Rob Manford is not going to survive as commissioner. I'll put it that
0: way. Yeah. And uh, he might even be a high contender for worst commissioner in all of sports history. The way all it's sports, <laughs> Yeah.
1: Why limit it to baseball. Yeah. Right. Absolutely
0: yeah. right. Yeah. Definitely the rate he's going. So let's talk about something that's exciting going on in your town. And that's basketball. First, let's start with the Memphis Tigers who uh, will be set to start playing the AAC tournament uh, uh, coming up on Friday. They'll get the winner of the UCF South Florida game. Um, you know, they they had their their ups and downs, but they've been on an upswing of late. They had a a, a really big statement win over Houston to close out the regular season. Uh, you know, t- talk to me a little bit about the about the Tigers yeah. and and what's going well, on you with know, them.
1: You mentioned the ups and downs, Jeff. I think the metamorphosis began on February twelfth when Memphis went down to Houston and beat the Cougars there. That's the only home loss Houston's had all season. So I think that. That um, sparked, you know, uh, it, it lit the right kind of fire in these young men. And they, they've won 10 out of 11 games to finish the regular season. They're playing with the same starting five. You know, I, I think touched on this last time we talked. Uh, Penny Hardaway has limited a rotation that was once 11 or 12 players to really a really a seven-man rotation with, with a couple of other guys involved, uh, you know, should some core core players get in foul trouble and they're, they're playing great basketball. they're playing the kind of basketball that that wins in March. they're, they're um, defending the perimeter. they're getting the ball inside to their very talented big man Jalen Duran um, and it's showing. I mean they they beat Houston handily um, at FedEx Forum last weekend and it was not close. it wasn't close from the from the get-go and Houston's been a top 20 team all season. so it'll be really interesting to see Jeff um, you know, first of all how Memphis does in the AAC tourney. This weekend in Texas, uh, they, I, you know, they should win that opening game against one of the Florida schools. Then it's up against their nemesis, more likely SMU in the semifinals. Um, and then if if form holds, it would be Houston in the final. Um, but if the Tigers win even as many as two games, uh, certainly if they win the league tournament, I, I could see them getting as high as a, a five seed, uh, you know, certainly a six seed, where, you know, a week ago or certainly two weeks ago, you and I would be talking about them being in the bubble. So uh, Memphis being back in the NCAA tournament is huge news in these parts. Uh, it's been eight years. 2014 was the last time they went under Josh Pastner. So this is going to be Penny Hardaway's first trip as a coach. The city is really wound up for it. And um, uh, whatever happens this weekend in Texas, the Tigers should be there. And even if it's playing in one of those play-in games, just being back in the big dance is, uh, is going to be a thrill for, for Memphis basketball fans.
0: Yeah, because I think at this point most people – feel like they've done enough to get in I mean it could be a three-bit league yeah. I mean SMU has been in that uh you know that uh, last four in first four out I think they need a I think they need a decent tournament uh to solidify their position and boy you know yeah. you know Memphis and Houston gave us uh, uh quite a treat last year uh you know with the end of the regular season and in the conference tournament and uh we could be set up for another one of those again
1: it's turned into a terrific rivalry, absolutely. Over the last, you know, 13 months, I guess, Jeff. Yeah, um, two schools. That I mean, they go back all the way to the 80s. They they played in the NCAA tournament during the Elijah One years in Houston, Keithley years in, in Memphis. Uh, they're two great programs, and I I hate that the rivalry is going to be interrupted when Houston moves to the Big 12 <clears throat> in the near future. But but for now, if you're a college basketball fan, a casual fan that wants to see you know rivalry hoops. Um, there are a few that are that are bigger and better than than uh, Memphis and Houston right now, but only a few.
0: And can you kind of put it into words for me? The impact of having Larry Brown on Penny's coaching staff is. I mean, this is a guy that has seen it all and won it all in numerous places. He's probably forgotten more basketball than most people <laughs> have ever yeah. gained in their lives. Can you can you kind of talk about the the impact that he has had?
1: yeah I, I wonder, Jeff, you know first of all, let me uh, let me say coach Brown, you know delicately and politely uh, refused or declined in interviews at the beginning of the season. He didn't want to be part of that. and I think that's a i think he's deferring to Penny as the head coach, and you know there's some sense there. so I haven't been able to ask him you know in in those terms, you know what are you seeing and, and what adjustments have you and and coach Hardaway made to turn this team around? I hope he has at least a post-mortem at the end of the season. Um, Larry Brown, yeah, as you said, he's forgotten more basketball than you and I can, can learn. Um, I wouldn't want to be doing what I'm doing, and I, and I love I love journalism, I love writing, when I'm Larry Brown's age. So so how much he loves basketball is something I'm not quite sure you or I or your listeners can, can get our, our heads around. But um, he's... Uh, you know he he's active on the bench. I'll say that. You know my seat uh, up on press row is just a few feet from Coach Hardaway and Coach Brown. He's active. He's involved in in the uh, the timeout huddles. He, he will be up on his feet um, barking defensive calls. Um, so Larry Brown's played a role. I, I I would like to get his honest impression and in, in Penny's and you know, Hardaway's too. To, uh, honestly, um, um, for what he's he's meant to this team, but. Um, it, it's been interesting because you know you and I were old enough. I look at, the, at Larry Brown sitting on the bench, and I think in nineteen eighty-eight, and and he was a veteran coach then. <laughs> Jeff, you know, he was he had been around back in nineteen eighty-eight. Then you flash forward to two thousand four, he was an old coach, at least in my view. Larry Brown was a was a was in his golden years in two thousand four when he won an NBA title with the Detroit Pistons, and here we are eighteen years later. He's He's a remarkable basketball lifer. I'm not sure lifer can be used for anybody else in the way it, 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 it has been for Larry
0: Brown. Yeah, you know, and uh, I got a great Larry Brown story for you, you know, because back in the 90s uh, when he was coaching the Indiana Pacers and they had some uh, uh, fierce uh, uh, playoff battles with the Orlando Magic. And uh, during the, during uh, one of their visits to Orlando, I was producing a morning sports talk show. And uh, we, we called the hotel. And, and got through to his room. He did not use a fake name. And, wow. and uh, he, you know, he answered the phone. And uh, he goes, I don't think anybody wants to talk to me. And, of course, he, we woke him up and 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 so so he wasn't really happy about that but I said but I said no no we like to get the opponent's perspective and all that stuff and he went on and boy when he went on he was like you know the light went on and he was just a a great guest and a perfect gentleman but uh you know he's he he's that's remarkable he, yeah he yeah
1: he, and it doesn't surprise me i mean that, that 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 sounds old school i mean that's the way it, Larry brown growing up coaching in the aba in the 70s and you know, in the 80s that's what that's that's what you, what coaches would do. i would pick up the phone and, and talk to a reporter. Uh, it's, it, the layers we deal with now. That's it seems uh, it's, it's hard to imagine. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you woke him up. Yeah, did <laughs> Orlando win the series? Who won that series?
0: Uh, yeah, that was a that was a year Orlando won the series. Uh, so yeah, that's awesome. yeah, that was a, that was <laughs> that was uh, that was quite. <laughs> you,
1: a, you contributed to the to the effort.
0: Yeah. What? Well, yeah, and I think also I think somebody uh, during that series also pulled the fire alarm in the Pacers hotel too. <laughs> uh, during one segment. So I th- I think I think they had a lot of things going on. Okay. Not my not here. my fault. I'll all I'll cop <laughs> I'll cop to the phone call, but not the not the right. fire alarm. <laughs> um, That's funny. Yeah. So the the pro team in town, the Memphis Grizzlies, uh they're having a nice uh, season as well at uh number two in the uh, Western conference currently. And you know, and I'm I'm not a big NBA watcher particularly in the regular season, but John Morant, I'm a huge fan of his. That guy is that's that's got to be a treat to watch him play on a regular basis.
1: Jeff, he is remarkable. Um, if your listeners have not seen a, a you know, 48 minutes of John Morant, I would advise them to turn a game on, and th- they'll only need about 10 or 12 to see what you're describing. He is a, a remarkable athletic talent with basketball skills, and, and those two those two things don't necessarily go together. He's a, he's a, a remarkable athlete. You know, jump through the roof uh, fast, quick. And he's also, you know, blessed with the kind of basketball skills we see in very few men. Uh, his shooting ability from long range, uh, you know, his, his ball handling. He, is, and he And he's only 22 years old. It's almost silly, especially the older I get when I see someone who's this precocious, this talented. Um, the, the fact that he's in Memphis, we, we've, you know, over the last 10 years, Memphis has become a grit and grind. City, the words originally coined by Tony Allen during some some very good uh, years that the, the Grizzlies had in the 2010s. But the thing is, John Morant's really not grit and grind. He's a lot more flash and dash. He, he plays the, the kind of game that Michael Jordan played, um, that, that Penny Hardaway played, he, You know, the guy right, right here in the same city coaching the college team now. Um, Morant is a better shooter than Penny ever was. I, I don't think he's quite the passer yet. Hardaway was, but he's a remarkable, you know, multi-skilled uh, basketball player who I'm convinced is going to be an MVP. I, I'm, I'm surprised, honestly, he doesn't get more of the more talk this year. It's, it's Jokic and Curry, uh, the usual suspects. Uh, Giannis up there in the, in the MVP uh, discussions, but John Morant is is remarkable, and he's playing for a very good team. He has a great supporting cast, and you don't go 45 and 22 as the Grizzlies are now by accident. And I think um, if Morant's coming out party hasn't already happened, and he started the All Star game, these these playoffs uh, coming up in just a few weeks um, will be that coming out party. He, he's he's amazing.
0: Yeah, no, I remember you know when he made that uh, uh, run with Murray State in the in March Madness, you, know, you could tell he was going to be something uh, back then. And uh, yeah, Memphis certainly. Right, yeah, some, that the was certainly is, a uh, wise pick.
1: You may be better than I am at, at seeing the this, the the translatable skill set from college to the NBA, because I, I, I've seen some that I was convinced, this, this guy's going to be an all-star before he's 25, and you don't hear of him, hear of him again. Uh, Morant, uh, if anything, he's gotten better proportionally to his peers in his third season of the NBA than he was at Murray State, and that's hard to imagine, because I saw the same thing you did, that this guy, you know, back then it was, how did he wind up at Murray State? Why isn't this guy... One of the big boys, Duke, Kentucky, you know, somewhere, you know, you know, playing on Saturday afternoon national television every week. Um, he's he's remarkable, and um, he, he's going to be the Memphis sports story. You know, the Grizzlies being our only big league team as long as he's here.
0: And how would you rate the Grizzlies' chances uh, come the NBA playoffs this year,
1: uh, Jeff? I honestly, I have a hard time. Finding an NBA team that I'm convinced can win four of seven from the Grizzlies, I, I I really feel like that this team um, is built to excel as a group, and and that's how you that's how you hang banners. Um, Desmond Bain, Jaron Jackson, Stephen Adams, names that I don't know if they'll roll off the tongue of uh, you know NBA watching listeners, but these are are strong basketball players. If they stay healthy, keep that unit together, and if you know, Jaw has to be the star he is. If he if they play that way, um I I see at least a trip to the Western Conference Finals. I you know, Phoenix is a very good team, fifty two and thirteen. They're remarkable. Um I I I would put I would if I were a betting man I would I'd put my coin on the Grizzlies against the Warriors. They're, They're a very good team and um I would think that you know I would never say not getting to the conference finals would be a disappointment because this is a franchise that's only reached the conference finals once but getting to the conference finals would not be a surprise to me would not would not shock me anymore based on what I've seen over you know the last four months of basketball
0: yeah well I definitely will say uh, both the pro and college level uh, Memphis has a lot to be excited about as far as action on the, the hardwood goes let's uh talk about the NFL a little bit and I am very fascinated by this uh, Calvin Ridley suspension. Uh, he is of course suspended for gambling for at least a year and here's where where it's interesting you know you have the NFL that is completely in bed with uh, with gambling uh just like all those pro sports are now nowadays you have all that situation and it's almost like this is kind of one of those uh, situations where the parent says, uh, do as I say not as I do <laughs> you know uh, yeah. you know it's it, it it is very odd and then you look at this suspension versus some of the um assault uh allegations against players right. and and, and right. things like that that are far far shorter to me and those kind of things are more egregious than gambling oh <laughs> so, yeah yeah
1: it's um yeah you're putting me on a, on a Soapbox now, Jeff, uh, you know, the NFL was in in bed with with the gambling industry before it was legalized and, and sports books were made fair game in, in states, you know, near and far. Uh, so now the, the way the the NFL world turns now, you know, you'll 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 spend your entire Sunday morning watching talk shows with betting lines scrolling along the bottom or or kept right there as a a side panel during the broadcast with your over-unders and, you know, who's favored. Um, And so, you know, Calvin Ridley bets on some football games, even if he's betting on games involving the the Falcons. um, I'll say this, a smart man only gambles on what he understands. You're not going to find me putting down my hard-earned cash on Australian rules football. Or uh, you know, Syria soccer out of Italy. I, I don't. I don't follow them. I don't understand them, and I sure, certainly wouldn't be able to pick between one team or another. Calvin Ridley knows football. He, he knows the NFL, and I, I only use his name because he's the one in the, in, the, in the you know the spotlight right now. But take any professional athlete in any of these sports. What do they know best? It's the game they play, the leagues in which they play. So the, the likelihood of one of them saying, you know, I'm going to I'm going to put a grand down or, or maybe five grand down on on a, on a ball game that I, that I feel I'm convinced I know who will win. I mean, that, for the NFL to raise his hands say, I'm astonished. I'm shocked that this is going on. It's the plainest scene in Casablanca. It's absurd. And Roger Goodell is, is trying to act like it's 1963, and, and you've got Paul Horning and Alex Karras you know, associated with casinos, so they get suspended a year. You can't do that here in 2022. It's, it's, a, it's a different world entirely. And, um, you know, I, I find the Ridley story to be almost quaint, and I would imagine he'll appeal. I'll, uh, I would think the NFLPA is going to have an appeal system set up for a case like Ridley's. And these, these kind of uh, transgressions, you know, we're going to have to do, d- determine if they are, in fact, transgressions. Because, as you say, there, there, are, there are a lot worse uh, crimes being committed by professional athletes that are getting you know, slaps on the wrist what Calvin Ridley is paying for, you know, what the NFL is promoting. It's, it's absurd.
0: Yeah, no, How's that it, for a soapbox? yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm absolutely with you on that. It's kind of funny because yeah, you, you mentioned something very interesting about the, you know, the NFL, even before the, uh, the, the glorification of, of gambling, uh, you know, they've always kind of been in that uh, that wink, wink, nudge, 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 kind of thing with it, where what? they where they speak out against yeah. it, but they're behind the scenes with it. You know, <laughs> it's, uh, it. it,
1: it I, you know, I, I I don't mind saying I, I'm 53 years old. I, I've been a sports fan my whole life, and and I I, I obviously I pay attention to my fellow fans, my friends, um, since I went into journalism. Those who who um, interact with me from my writing there is no sport that is bet on with the intensity of the national football league. None. I mean, college football doesn't compare uh, NBA baseball, none. The NFL, it's, it's set up for gamblers. It's, it's, it's on a weekly cycle. There are limited number of games. You, you get injury reports, you you get, um, you know, measurable roster fluctuations. Uh, It's, it's, uh, it's made for gambling. And, you know, Roger Goodell, I'm sure, is much smarter than I am. And so he must realize that his mega salary is in part paid by the industries, you know, fueled by gambling. And, uh, you know, for, you know, it's we're talking a lot, a lot of commissioners here tonight, you know, with Manfred and now Goodell. These guys need to, you know, pull the wool away and and recognize that um, um, you're going to live with gambling or you're not. But you can't have it both ways.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 the biggest problem right there. Is, is there is there they're they're all up a, about it, but well, well, wait a minute. Not so fast, my yeah. friend. Yeah, it, it's and,
1: and you know, Jeff, I, I would want to I'd want to add this. That, you know, where it becomes uh, sort of you know dancing on glass for you know, fans like you and I is we want to know the games are played with integrity that, that athletes are you know putting forth 100 percent effort. Every, every time we watch, whether or not we're betting on it. I mean, it's the same thing gamblers won't want to, to know. Um, so that's where it, it's such a slippery slope, and, and I don't have an answer, solution, or a recommendation, really, uh, because mm-hmm. once the toothpaste is out of the tube, it's not going back in. Gambling's legalized. It's a huge industry now. It's an, it's an above-board industry now. I don't I don't know what exactly is going to happen, but I, I hope we don't reach a point where you and I are on our sofas on Super Bowl Sunday wondering if team we're behind is, is actually if it's in their best interest to win the game that would be that that would for me be the end of, of competitive professional sports I, I, I hope we don't get there but this is it's a it's a really interesting tipping point where we're living right now
0: yeah and of course and then you also got to go look at calvin ridley and say you know why didn't you give you give your money to a friend and have him bet it for you, <laughs> it,
1: you <know. laughs> well you know we're we're not gonna you know, the subject of, of IQs and intelligence here, uh, in, I, I make poor judgment decisions myself. but yeah. You're right. Yeah. There, <laughs> there are ways around this and athletes are going to figure them out. Um, I, I'd rather it be straight up, you know, whatever it is. But uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, Calvin, I'm sure, has had a few conversations uh, with with friends and family since this all happened. Um,
0: yeah, no no question about it. And now, you know, today was an interesting day. You know, we uh, actually this week, you know, you know, Russell Wilson's traded from the Seahawks to the Broncos, uh, you know, and now we're going to see that uh, uh, Carson Wentz uh, will be moving from the Colts to the Washington Commanders. Uh, very Isn't interesting. That
1: hard to say? Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm reading Commanders headlines headlines and not quite knowing what I'm seeing.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no. I keep wanting to call them the Commandos, and uh, yeah. <laughs> and I was just getting used to calling them the football team. You know, so it's, right, right, You know, uh, but you but you look at this. You know, you we saw the Matt Stafford trade last year. You know, I can't think of a time when quarterbacks were dealt like this. It's an interesting yeah. interesting trend.
1: Yeah, you know, the last two years the Super Bowl has been won by a, a, a rookie veteran quarterback. You know, with Brady with the Bucks, and then, and just in just um, last month, I guess it was Stafford with the Rams. Um, so there there are franchises out there. You know, that the NFL is nothing if not follow the leader, and they're going to be franchises like the Broncos that feel like all we need is that one you know franchise QB. If we load up enough draft picks and the right kind of uh, trade package, we can we can get that Labarri trophy ourselves. Um, it surprised me. I've got family in Seattle and I thought Russell Wilson would be a Seahawk lifer. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's what a different landscape we have with, with the NFL with, you know, Drew Brees recently retiring, Ed Roethlisberger now, now off into the sunset. Um, uh, I don't think, you know, Carson Wentz moving to Washington is going to tip the apple cart too much, but it, it's, um, it, it's, it somewhat reminds me of the transfer portal in college basketball, or what you see in your team's final game of the season one year may be very different from what you see at the opening game of the next season. And when you're talking about NFL quarterbacks, the, the only real face of, of any franchise it's significant. So uh, yeah, what's next? Aaron Rodgers, I know, is going to be wearing a yellow helmet.
0: That's that's about all I can guarantee. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, but but to me, it speaks it speaks very interesting because now you're seeing stories. Well, the Vikings might deal Kirk Cousins, and and it's it's very interesting to me because I think this really speaks to the to the to the lack of quality of of really great NFL quarterbacks. I think that's what 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 this. Uh, kind of typifies no us, you know? I mean, yeah,
1: yeah, no question. And when you've got guys like, like Breeze and Roethlisberger who held down two of the precious, you know, 32 positions there are in the world, NFL quarterbacks um, for more than a decade, when they step aside, that's just two more openings. And uh, we are learning that the college football doesn't produce starting NFL quarterbacks at the rate that they are, are, are now, you know, retiring and, and moving on. And, It's uh, it's the most premium position in sport. It's the most famous position in sport. The the, the quickest way to become, you know, extravagantly wealthy is to be a a good starting NFL quarterback. So um, it's um, it's a compelling angle to to follow, and it's one I got to believe. Back to our guy Roger Goodell, he's got to be loving it because it's it's getting the NFL up at the the talk of the at the top of the talk shows in March uh, at a time when you know we should be turning to baseball back to our, our original topic
0: yeah yeah and and then you look at the you look at the fact that you know this now to your point about college quarterbacks not making that next level you know this now shows that Jordan Love is not the guy uh in green bay because uh Aaron Rodgers they wouldn't be begging him to stay if, if that was the case right uh
1: oh, no yeah that's right and and um uh, just to piggyback that that a little bit i, I I can remember, you know, trying to think of an example here on the spot. But um, in the '80s and into the '90s, NFL teams would draft a quarterback with. Oh, well, the example is Aaron Rodgers himself. There you go. Would we'll draft a star quarterback with the intent of having him develop behind another starter two, three, four years. Well, that's not the case anymore. Teams are too impatient, and and rosters fluctuate too quickly. And you want to win next year's Super Bowl, not not a Super Bowl five years from now. So, yeah, it's. Um, uh, you bring up a valid point. Uh, there's there's an impatience uh, component to all this, but uh, give a guy you know the, the, get up in, in New York with the Giants, give him two th- two years, maybe three, but it's not gonna be more than three years.
0: Yeah, and uh, you know when maybe those first two or three years. Would have been better spent on as the number two quarterback. Like you, you, you right. might be right, Aaron Rodgers might be the last guy that was developed. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: And and you know, think back. I mean, I, I wonder if, if Rodgers himself would acknowledge it because you know th- these guys have egos. But how much he learned just watching and, and sitting in the film room, uh, paying attention to what what Favre did and, and what Favre didn't do, you learn as much from. You know the, the person who's starting in front of you from his shortcomings as you do from his strengths. Um, that that dynamic really doesn't exist uh, anymore. It's it's you know we're, we're drafting you, we're, we're making you QB one, and we expect you to get us to the playoffs and beyond. It's um, it, it's a different ballgame now. Yeah. Only the very best can do it.
0: Yeah. You know, of course, you know uh, we're both Cowboys fans, and uh, you know Dak Prescott. You know is, is there's always been that question: Is he a franchise elite quarterback and, and, and whatnot? He's paid like one for sure. I think he is. He's almost there. I wouldn't say he's an elite quarterback yet, but I think he's almost there. And and of course he, he might be getting there by a, by attrition <laughs> in some cases too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, you know, Dak's a really interesting case. I'm glad you brought him up, because you remember when Dallas drafted him, he was going to be a a development project. He was going to grow behind Tony Romo a few years and, and maybe be a starting NFL quarterback someday. Romo got hurt, Dak had a really great preseason, and really hasn't looked back since. So if anything, I think Prescott has performed at the level we've seen him, obviously, during what would have been his development phase, and um, you know, is he a franchise quarterback? If that's just that can be defined in so many ways. Are, are you only a franchise quarterback if you win a Super Bowl? Uh, then uh, you know, Dak needs a, the right kind of supporting cast. It wasn't it wasn't just Dak Prescott who fell short against the 49ers, uh, Whatever happened on the last play or not, um, he, he I, I would put Dak Prescott. I'm up among the top ten quarterbacks in the NFL right now, Jeff. And um, if, if Jerry Jones and his family, however they're or analyzing the roster, I don't think they need to focus on replacing the quarterback um, when they're trying to make the next leap to, you know, actually winning one or two playoff games.
0: <laughs> yeah, that would that would be nice if they actually get around to doing that, uh, for sure. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's been a long time. Yeah, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, you look at, look at what he has done. Uh, and in fact, I think he was even going to be behind Kellen Moore. And Kellen Moore got hurt, too. So, you, you know, there's there's all sorts of... Wow,
1: yeah. You, I, I'd forgotten the Kellen Moore angle there. The, he, the, the, yeah, that's a really good point. He was a project. I, I forget what round Dak was drafted in, but he was... He was a he fourth round. Was not for yeah. him to be, fourth, yeah, he was not intended to be the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys in 2016. And they ended up having a very good year, made the playoffs. Remarkable year. you know. With, you know it was also Elliott's rookie season. Um, uh, I, I've been disappointed in a lot with the Dallas Cowboys over the last... Uh, I guess six, seven years now, but Jack Prescott has not been one of the one of the elements I've been disappointed
0: in. Yeah, you know, and it was always funny too because, like, when 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 Tony Romo was the quarterback, and and my my friends who uh, like to get on me about the Cowboys would always, you know, talk about you know he's a loser, this, that, and the other, and I would always go back and look, and it's like, well. You know, what was there, like 10 stiffs between Troy Aikman and Tony Romo? I mean, you know,
1: right. It's, right.
0: Like, it's like, I'm, I'm okay riding with this guy based on, on, yeah. on, the, on the 10 guys we had before him.
1: Oh, no, yeah. You would look back and, and look at the supporting cast, and, and by supporting cast, I mean defense as much as offense. Count the number of Cowboy defensive players that made the Pro Bowl while Tony Romo was quarterbacking the Dallas Cowboys. That, that was not a good football franchise has not been good um, uh, regularly for for many years you remember it wasn't it three straight eight and eight seasons as Jason Garrett was you know learning his ways in the sideline they were weak teams and if anything I think Tony Romo looked at them he was an exciting quarterback to watch uh, in part for the risk he brought but he he went you know toe-to-toe I remember with with Peyton Manning at at Manning's you know peak Um, he Romo was an underrated uh, NFL quarterback. Uh, in part now because he's such a terrific analyst. Yeah. He's not going to sniff the Hall of Fame. He doesn't belong in the Hall of Fame. But um, again, I I just said it about Dak. Over the Tony Romo years, I was disappointed in a lot. But Tony Romo wouldn't have led the, my list of disappointments by any stretch.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, no question about it. And uh, yeah, it, it, it just goes down you know, the NFL is a quarterback-driven league. And, and there is not two ways, two ways about that. And if you don't yeah, and, it.
1: and they're going to they're going to take the blame and get the credit, but that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean they're 100 percent responsible, you know, for the blame or, or the credit. Uh, but as you said, it's and, and as I noted with our earlier talk about franchise quarterbacks, uh, uh, there is no face of the franchise in any sport like a quarterback is in the NFL. So that's 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 part of the duty, and Tony Romo fell um, woefully short if you're, if you're measuring by. My Super Bowl appearances, and um, that—that's you know he's got to live with that legacy. But I, I have happy memories of Tony Romo, also.
0: Yeah, me too. Well, Frank, this has been a blast. I always uh, appreciate uh, uh, talking sports with you. And if you would, uh, I would like you to do some shameless plugs for for your endeavors, please.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, your listeners can go to memphisfire if they're interested in Memphis sports, and that's where you're going to find my regular work covering the Tigers. Or soon it'll be the Memphis Redbirds uh, baseball. Operation and I'm still selling books. Uh, please uh, consider Trey's Company. It's a, a coming of age story. If if your your listeners like Stand by Me uh, or, or The Sandlot, it's that kind of book uh, about a, a childhood summer um, in the early '80s. Trey's Company you can find it on Amazon.com, and it's hard to sell books these days. If you got readers out there, uh, please give it a shot.
0: And by the way, I think you told me before that uh, that this book was loosely based on your growing up. Um, how much? How it, it, much? Go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: No yeah, it was loosely. I, I um I spent some summers in uh, Cleveland, Tennessee, East Tennessee. Jeff is a boy with my grandmother, my widowed grandmother, and so that's that's sort of the the nuts and bolts of of the tale. Um, it is it is loosely based. it is entirely fictional my um, I, I the characters are are amalgams of of kids I knew when I was a child and uh, the 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 adults in the story are um, are versions of of my Grandparents, my my great aunt, I had, uh, but it, it is it's a work of fiction. But 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 that's how you that's how you captivate listeners. I think I think Trey Milligan's story is a lot more interesting than Frank Murtaugh's would be <laughs> to <laughs> someone shopping for a good book on Amazon. So that, I think that would be my my pitch as far as the as the as far as the autobiographical content's concerned.
0: All right. Well, we like Frank Mur- Murtaugh's story. Talking sports on on the program as always. We appreciate it, Frank. Thank you.
1: Thanks a lot, Jeff. I really appreciate
0: being with you. And we'll be right back with a TV theme right after this.
1: Central Florida, we're back. It's the second annual Apopka International Jazz Fest, starring the iconic Jeffrey Osborne. Jeffrey Osborne. With special guest Hiroshima, saxophonist Dee Lucas, and Grammy Award winner Nestor Torres. Saturday, March 19th, at the luxurious Apopka Amphitheater. Early bird tickets on sale. For complete details and tickets, log on to Apopka International Jazz Fest. Jeffrey Osborne. Baby, stay with me tonight. Get your tickets now.
0: And that, of course, is the theme from Sanford and Son that ran on NBC 1972 to 1977. And uh, it was based on a British sitcom called Steptoe and Son. They aired on the BBC in the 60s and early 70s. Of course, Sanford and Son, known for its edgy racial humor, running gags and catchphrases, was a series adapted by Norman Lear. And it was considered NBC's answer to CBS's All in the Family and has been hailed as a precursor to many other African-American sitcoms. It was a ratings hit throughout its six-season run uh, in the top ten for five of their six seasons. Uh, the, of course, the uh, role of Fred G. Sanford, played by the great Red Fox. Uh, he he was uh, uh, just an amazing comedian and... Uh, Uh, Of course, the catchphrase, but, oh, Elizabeth, this is the big one, as he's clutching his heart, feigning a heart attack. (laughs) Devon Wilson played his son, Lamont. Uh, Other characters in the show. We had uh, Aunt Esther, played by LaWanda Page, and was, of course, uh, Fred's nemesis, and sister of his late wife, Elizabeth. Whitman Mayo played the Grady Wilson the simple-minded best friend, good-natured guy, and uh, uh, he was a quite quite a fun character uh, in his own right. Sanford and Son are TV theme for this week, and with that, we are done here.